Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are excited that you are joining us as we enter into the season of Advent and make our way to the celebration of Jesus' birth. This Advent season, we are looking at Emmanuel and asking the question out loud that many of us are thinking, is God with us? You can join us here on our YouTube channel, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course our website, ccgf.org, as we explore this question, experience Advent, and look to God's Word for His promises. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. What a morning at Christ Church to Grove Farm. Let's show our appreciation once again for this team and all they've accomplished. Wonderful singers, great leaders. We have great tech team. Just an incredible, incredible morning. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Team, we love you. Thank you for leading us in worship. What a special, special morning. I want to go back to the Gospel of Luke that was already proclaimed to you. And I just want to underscore a few verses from the birth narrative of Jesus, picking up, I got the wrong thing, I got my iPad, uh, picking up in the Bible, in Luke 2, I'm going to start in verse 4, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in the Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, and while they were there, The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Ever since this time, O little town of Bethlehem has become a big deal, a real big deal. In fact, um, there's, there's there's a landmark there known as the Church of the Nativity. Maybe you've heard of it. I have a picture of the exterior here. Check it out. That's a real place, and, and many believe that this is the place of the birth of Jesus. And you can look inside as well. One of these days, we're going to take that trip, and we're going we're to see these things with our eyes together as a church family, and we're going to teach there. It'll be great. Typically, three million people venture, flock to Bethlehem during this time of year. This year, zero people will be in Bethlehem. It is locked down. And so a place that typically sees many visitors and many people coming to commemorate the birth, the coming of Jesus, this year, silent. Three million people to none. And and there was a quote in an article I read about this where one of the prominent citizens of Bethlehem said this. He said, Bethlehem is dead. Bethlehem is dead. And I feel like that's illustrative of 2020 in some respects. I mean, 2020 is the kind of year that has felt exhausting. And when you're exhausted emotionally and physically, maybe spiritually, the effect that that can have on a person is leaving you feel empty. I was just talking to people this morning after our first service here. There are a number of people who are feeling a sense of emptiness this year. And it keeps on coming, right? We, we got more news this week. It just keeps on coming. And with that comes this kind of emptiness. And the question that I think that some in our, our culture may be asking in their hearts and their minds is this, what does Luke chapter 2 have to do with anything? What's it have to do with anything? Bethlehem? A manger? A baby? What's the significance of all this for us today? Well, if you have those questions, you're not alone. 
There are many who are feeling empty, and there are many who are wondering what the significance is. I believe that this passage we've been studying for the past few weeks here, Isaiah chapter 9, that it has some answers for us as to why Luke chapter 2, the word you've heard proclaimed here this morning, is so significant for us. And so we're going to finish out the chapter today. And we've been reading about the people, the inhabitants of Zebulun and Naphtali. We we feel like we're friends now with them. We've heard about them so much if you've been with us. And we've been reading about the difficult times they've been going through. It's described as anguish in the Bible. They've experienced great anguish. And they've experienced darkness. Anguish and darkness. Yet... As we read through verses 1 through 5 of Isaiah 9, we also see this, that they are promised light is going to come. They are promised that joy is going to come to them. They they have this promise of a future hope. And, and, And this is all because why? Because a son, a baby boy is going to be born. Again, they had to have wondered, well, how could a baby, how could a son bring such glorious change to a people who are walking in anguish and in darkness? And here's the answer. It's really simple. Because of who the son is. Because of who he is. That's why he can bring about such a glorious change. That's why this is so significant. And so we're going to be looking again at Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, your iPhone, or your tablet, to be on the screens as well. And and this is one of the most well-known prophecies of Jesus. Let's go there now. We're going to pick up in verse 6. And here we see some words that you've already heard read this morning that are famous around the world. Beginning in verse 6, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Let's pause there. You see, Isaiah has made a change. If you've been tracking with us in verses 1 through 5, you've noted now that he's changed something. That's gone, that he's gone to the first person as he's speaking to us. You've got to pay attention to the text. And now all of a sudden, he's not saying, to them a son is born, to them a son is given. Now he's saying what? To us a son is given. To us a son is born. This is incredibly important. You know, there are people who, who wonder, man, I wish that I could hear God speak to me. You ever feel like that? Oh, I wish that God would speak to me. I wish I could hear him more clearly. Well, let me tell you something. If you would like to hear the Lord speak to you, he's speaking to you. Because right here, this is spoken not just to an ancient audience, it is spoken to everyone who would come after. To us, a son is given. We are the audience. God is speaking to us in the first person. We've talked about this passage and how in the ancient language, it was written in such a way that it's written in the past perfect continuous. And that tells us that it speaks of something that began a long time ago and keeps on going until present day. And we have more evidence of that here because now Isaiah is saying, listen, this is for all of you. You're the audience. Pay attention. Unto us, the son has been given. Unto us a son is born. Do you see it? So listen, we are the audience. Stay with me on this. And after it says, to us a child has been born, to us a son has been given, it says this, the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. What does that mean? Well, that means that he is king. 
And like any king, he will reign. He is the king, and he will reign. There's some evidence of this in the scriptures that we can help connect the dots with. Let's go to Matthew 28, verse 18. This might be familiar to some of you. Matthew 28, 18. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures this morning. Listen to Matthew 28, 18. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Why is all power given to him? Because he's the king, with a capital K. And he will reign. The government will be on his shoulders. Or look at this, Revelation 19. If you didn't catch last week's sermon, you can go back and watch those on YouTube. We'd love for you to keep track of what we're teaching here at the church. And last week, I asked the question, I said, what's your picture of Jesus? Do you just imagine him as a baby? Well, there's a bigger picture. Listen to Revelation 19, verse 16. It says this, a description of Jesus. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Listen, on his shoulders, the government rests. He is the king, and he will reign. So what we're talking about is, this is for us. We are the audience. To us, the son has been given. And the government's on his shoulders. He's the king. So with that in mind, then Isaiah goes to these, these four names that he ascribes to this king. And by the way, this passage is written in such a way that, that the scholars believe that it reflects what would have been an, a, a coronation ceremony language. This is like the ritual of appointing a king. And this would have been familiar to the people. And they've adopted it for the king that God is giving to the people to save them. So let's pick up here. And there are four names. I want to go through these four names. You know, names are interesting. In 2020, there are some people who have been very creative with the names that they've given to their babies to fit the times. For instance, did you know, this is a true story, there were twins born uh, in some part of the world, and those twins were named COVID and Corona. No joke, it's true. Look it up, COVID and Corona. There were twins walking around, poor kids. Um, and, and then there's another baby who was named Lockdown. Is that you? Do you name your kid Lockdown? Lockdown is, is one of the names. I don't know if that's a boy or a girl, but there's a few girl names that have come to prominence here. Tina is really popular in this season because of quarantine. Tina, quarantine. And, and Demi has become popular too because of pandemic, short for pandemic, Demi. And of course, Rona is a name that's become popular too. These are real life names that have been given to children this year. In the Hebrew culture, names were very, very significant. And the thing about a name in the Hebrew culture and the significance of it is it wasn't just to describe the person. The name given wasn't just to maybe try to capture what they hoped this person would become. No, the name was meant, the reason it was significant, is that it pointed to something beyond the person. The significance was in something else to which the name points. There was something beyond that person that was a hope that that name was given to them. Well, these are throne names. Remember, it's a coronation ceremony. These four names we're going to go through, these are throne names. When a king was coronated, coronated, he was given throne names. And these are these kind of names he's been given. The first one is this, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. What's that mean? Well, that speaks to wisdom. It speaks to wisdom. You know, one of my privileges here at Christ Church is that I have 
a person that I could turn to when I, when I have some questions and I'm trying to figure things out. That's Pastor John. I think we have a picture of Pastor John and, and me together. I enjoy spending time with them. And, and Pastor John, one of the things I'm learning from him and about him is that he sees the bigger picture. He has a gift that, that he's able to see the big picture. He constantly points me to the bigger picture. Not only that, I would say that Pastor John is also a person who, who's always thinking about the end game. Because he sees the bigger picture, he's always thinking about the end game. And so he kind of points me to that, and I'm always grateful for that. Well, listen, God, God always has, this is important, always has the highest end in mind. He is wonderful counselor. He is wise beyond wise. And he always has the highest end, the highest purpose, the, the greatest good in mind. God knows the best thing to do. He is the wonderful counselor. You know, when, when I talk about these things, by the way, we're talking about God who is three in one. His Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, God is one in essence, three in person. And so you'll hear me reference the Lord, you'll hear me reference God, you'll, you'll hear me reference Jesus, the, the Spirit as well. We're talking about this being, God, who is one in essence. And, and God, who is always working towards the greater good, who always has the highest end in mind, He does this with two things in mind. Here's the big picture for the Lord. The big picture is God's glory, His glory. He, he wants his name to be glorified. He desires that his name would be glorified in all the earth. But he also has the good of his people in mind. So the wonderful counselor, the one who is incredibly wise, he's working with the good of his people in mind. And he's working with his glory in mind. He is, he is working as a wonderful, wise counselor. Now, the people of Zebulun, that we've been speaking about historically, the people of Naphtali, you heard what they had experienced. The Assyrians were marching through their cities, tearing them apart, taking them into captivity. And as these things were happening, don't you think that maybe they were wondering if God really had their good in mind? They had to at least wonder in certain moments, does God really have our back here? Is all this really working together for our good? Well, we cannot understand not even close, the wisdom of God. When you look at the world and you have questions if God is really good and you're wondering if he's really working on our behalf and how these things even add up to his glory, we have to understand this. We cannot understand the wisdom of God, even the smartest among you, even the wisest among us. We can't understand it. Listen to Isaiah 55. It says this, Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. You got that picture in your mind? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. There's a huge gap between who God is and who we are, so we can't understand the wisdom of this wonderful counselor. If we want to take it to the life of Jesus, Jesus embodies this too. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It says this, my goal Paul says, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden 
All the treasures of wisdom. Do you hear that? All the treasures of wisdom are hidden in Christ. Jesus is incredibly wise. He is the wonderful counselor. So listen, the king, Jesus, is wonderful counselor. All of his decisions are perfect. I want to pause. And I want you just to take that in for a moment. As you consider this year, your life, your circumstances, where you've been brought to at this moment. Jesus is the king. He is the wonderful counselor. And all of his decisions are perfect. It's meant to be an encouragement to us. I I think of Romans 8.28, which says this, that we know in all things, he works to them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is the wonderful counselor. So the first thing we see is he is wonderful counselor. Here's the next thing we see. He is mighty God. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Mighty God speaks to the power, the power of of God, the power of this triune God, the Trinity. Listen, there's nothing too hard for God. Think about your life. There's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing that's impossible for God. He is powerful. There's a name that's given to God in the Bible, in the original Hebrew language. So I referenced seven times in the scriptures. The name is El Shaddai. Ever heard that name? El Shaddai. The name El Shaddai means this. El, meaning God. Shaddai, meaning Almighty. God Almighty. This is who he is. He is powerful, beyond powerful. Listen to Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. You can write these down. Go back to them. Read these verses. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, El Shaddai. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You know, again, Zebulun. Let's take it back to the historical context. Zebulun. Naphtali, these people who are experiencing these terrible things, they they get a promise in in Isaiah 9 that says, listen, the rods of oppression will be broken. The yoke of oppression will be broken. There's this vivid picture that though they feel like they're under the thumb, though they feel like they're hard-pressed, that oppression is going to be broken. They had to be wondering, well, how will these wrongs be made right? How are our cities going to be rebuilt? How are our families going to be brought back together? How are we going to make up for the loss of life? They had to wonder. There was a great sense, I'm sure, of injustice in these people. Again, I want to take you to Matthew 28. We're talking about the one who is mighty God, who is powerful. Listen to Jesus' words. We already read this part. Jesus came and spoke to him. What did he say? All power. All power is given unto me, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth. In other words, I am, I am powerful. I am almighty, he says. He says, then go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is incredible. We have this almighty God, mighty God, as he's called here in Isaiah 9. And here's the incredible reality. Mighty God has given some of his power, his authority to us who follow Christ. 
If you follow Jesus, you have been given the authority under Jesus, who is almighty, all authority given to him, all power, all wisdom to him. You have been given his power through the Holy Spirit in us. You know what that means? We are to be his people. Talk about injustices. There were injustices then. There are injustices now, aren't there? Lots of injustice in the world. Well, we are called to be a people who because we surrender and submit and live for and follow mighty God, we're called to be his people and to do his work in his power in the world. This is why we partner with Urban Impact Foundation. We want to make a difference in the urban center of Pittsburgh. That's important on the north side. We want to do that. This is why we partner with Choices. We believe that that abortion is something that needs to be taken out of our society. So we we partner with them. We, We are tapping into the power of Almighty God, and we're seeking to eradicate injustices. This is why we we have food trucks outside that Robbie referenced, and we give away food to those who are in need. This is why we partner with Seed, and we drill wells in in Uganda so that people have clean drinking water. This is why we're we're partnering with CPAC in Cambodia, building an orphanage. Do you get it? We're doing all these things because the power of God, mighty God, has been given to us, and we are to be his agents in the world. But it doesn't just end with do-gooding. We don't only give out food. We don't only build houses. We also share the gospel. This is what power we have been given by mighty God. So he is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. The King Jesus is mighty God. He possesses unlimited power. And it's unbelievable. He's given it some of us to us. He is mighty God. He is wonderful counselor. He is everlasting father. Everlasting father. Loving. I love this attribute of God. You know, my dad, I have a picture of my dad and I. This is us at a ball game back when you could do that kind of thing. And we were having a great time there. My dad is is a great dad. Like a lot of you, I've got an awesome dad. And my dad, I know this, I know he loves me. And I'm really grateful that he loves my sister and he loves my kids and he loves my wife. He's very loving. But you know, as loving and good as my dad is, or maybe your dad is, I can tell you this, that the love of God is infinitely more. He's everlasting father. Let me check this out. Look at 1 John chapter 4. It says this, So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, in God in them. This was radical. I mean, in these times... To the audience who received these words first, this was radical. There were Gnostics who were part of this original kind of crowd and audience who would have heard these words. And the statement that God is love, the idea that God is a father who's loving, was considered to be way too personal for them. They felt like it was demeaning to God. But no, God is love. He's depicted as the ultimate father. Now, again, to take it back to Zebulun and Naphtali, they had to be wondering... I mean, these are people who are thinking, God is love. We have experienced anguish and gloom. I'm sure they didn't feel very loved. You ever been in that spot? Where you don't really feel loved. I mean, you know, you like hear this, these words about love. I mean, perhaps Zebulun and Naphtali weren't very lovable. You ever hear the parking lot test? Here's what the parking lot test is. The parking lot test is when you pull up to a place, work, 
church, school, family get together, and you see a car that you recognize, what feeling do you get? When you pull up and you see that, that white car, do you go, oh, Zebulon's here. <laughs> do you pull up and say, oh, not Naphtali again. You ever, you ever know, you know what I'm talking about? You know those people, don't you? When you pull up and you see that car, it's the parking lot test. You know, the truth of the matter is there are some people that are tough to love. There are some people that are tough to love for each of us. And we love to affirm the truth that God is love, but we also, it seems, like to live as if the Bible doesn't demand us to love even the most unlovable people among us. Look at 1 John 4 again. This continues, it, it, this, this writing continues about love. And it says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. A liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. It's a command, everyone. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Well, that should keep us busy during the Christmas season, shouldn't it? We have our work cut out for us. Listen, he is everlasting father. And we are called to love as he has loved us. Jesus is the king. The king Jesus is everlasting father. And his love is perfect. He is perfect in love. Okay, so we have wonderful counselor. We have mighty God. We have everlasting father. And then we have prince of peace. And of course, our key word here is peace. He's prince of peace. The Hebrew word for peace, probably familiar to a lot of you, is shalom. You heard shalom before? Shalom, right? And shalom is actually a word that, that is a gift from God. Let me give you a, a working definition of shalom. Shalom is a condition in which people enjoy complete and permanent well-being. This is physically and spiritually. That's what shalom is. You know, as you consider shalom, and, and again, as the original audience hears this, they had to be wondering, right? I mean, they had heard the words of Isaiah 9.5. Let me take you back there. Isaiah 9.5 said this, Every warrior's boot used in battle... And every garment, every uniform, army uniform rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. You know what this depicts? Remember this? It depicts, depicts an incredible victory, a decisive victory, a, a victory of annihilation. And, and these burning uniforms and boots symbolizes a time of peace. These people were probably thinking, hey, can we have this peace? Because right now in Zebulun and Naphtali, we don't have that peace. Our cities are burning. Can, can we have this peace? It's why we still sing these songs. It came upon a midnight clear. I love the one. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth. Goodwill toward men. From heaven's all-gracious king, we sing it because we long for this shalom. We want to have this shalom. We desire to have the Prince of Peace. Well, let me give you the good, good, good news. We have the opportunity to grasp hold of this shalom peace during this Advent season. Consider the words of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. 
Listen to what it says about shalom. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, remember justified means declared righteous. We've been declared righteous. Just if, as if I had never sinned. Justified, right? We've been justified through faith, and we have peace with God. We have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, through God's justification of sinners. Now, this is what he's done. He's justified. He's made right. He's declared righteous sinners. Through God's justification of sinners, through his son, the future peace is present now. It's present now for you. This Advent season, this Christmas season, we can have his peace. The King Jesus is Prince of Peace. Only he can bring us shalom. He's the only one. Let's finish up this passage. Isaiah 9, 7. It says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think this passage wraps it up and answers for us what, how, and who. Okay, first of all, what? What's going to happen? Well, here's what's going to happen. This king, his kingdom will grow and it will go on forever and ever and ever. That's what's going to happen. His kingdom, his reign will be established and it keeps on going. From that time forward, it's past, present, continuous, right? As we've talked about. And how's it going to happen? Well, the very last line tells us the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The passion of God, the might of God, the power of God. You know what God did? He put the cross on his shoulders. Talk about the government on his shoulders. He put the cross on the shoulders of Jesus. And by the way, he is the who. Who is this about? Well, the who is this? The who is the Jesus was the one who was born to achieve all this. Jesus was born born to achieve all this. You ask what the significance of Luke chapter 2 is? The significance is this. It's gloom to glory. It's darkness to light. It's oppression to freedom. It's sorrow to joy. This is the great news of this prophecy. And this is why Luke chapter 2 is so significant for us. So last thing. Today we have our Lessons and Carol service, which we've all enjoyed. And we, we gave the applause earlier. You know, Lessons and Carols, as you saw in our little video, has a tradition that goes back many years. It, it was popularized at King's College in England. And around 1918, In fact, I believe that was the very specific time it began. 1918 in King's College, that's when this thing kind of took off and started to spread around the world. There was a reverend there named Eric Milner White. And he, just six weeks after the end of World War I, instituted the first Lessons and Carol service at King's College. And there are two reasons, he says, why he instituted 102 years ago this Lessons and Carol service. It was for this. He, first of all, he wanted to help those who were grieving the loss of human life in the war. King's College, get this, 
lost 23% of their campus life to World War I. Imagine almost a quarter of their campus gone because of the war, passed on from this life. He, he wanted to help those who were grieving. His second purpose was this. He wanted to reach those who had lost faith because of the war, because of what people had gone through in Europe, because of the anguish, because of the death, because of the destruction. People had lost faith. That's what happens. That emptiness when you have a tough year or tough years, begins to set in. And I love what Milner White said. This, his quote is, the main theme of Lessons and Carols is the development of the loving purposes of God. I think it's so appropriate that we have Lessons and Carols here this Advent season. Because in the midst of this year, perhaps some of you listening online, some of you in the room right now, perhaps you are grieving grieving the state of your life, grieving the state of the world. P perhaps you have that emptiness and you've lost faith. Well, let me tell you, just like them, we need to hear the message of lessons and carols. We need the, the message of the word. We need the good news of the gospel. We need the king who is wonderful counselor. He's wise. All his ways are perfect. We need mighty God who holds all the power who, who works everything according to his purposes. We need the everlasting Father, his compassion, his love. We need today the Prince of Peace, the only one who can bring peace between us and God. My friends, may that great news encourage your hearts and strengthen your faith throughout this Advent season. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus, who is the King prophesied. God, we're grateful that though there is darkness, though there is anguish, though there is sorrow, that through the life of this King, we have a great hope and a great peace and a great joy and a great light. Oh Lord, I pray that every person, wherever they are in their faith, whether their faith is strong today or whether their faith feels weak, I pray that we all would be strengthened and encouraged and even challenged by the hope, the promise of this King who is Jesus. Oh God, thank you for this time together, the great singing, the power of your word, the opportunity to pray. We're so grateful for these things. Transform us and change us, Lord, during this holiday season, from darkness to light. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.